0: Let us pray. Oh, gracious God, again, draw near and help us to know you through your son, Jesus, the one to whom we have been united, the one who was baptized on our behalf, that he might receive the spirit and from him pour that same spirit upon us in our baptisms and in our faith. So lead and guide us this day and help us to know you more deeply through Christ our Lord. Amen. It was about 12 years ago. During the month of January, probably around this time in January. I don't quite remember the date. But I do remember I was taking a I was auditing a class while I was in seminary called The Life and Thought of Martin Luther. And at that time I was still on my journey toward Anglicanism. I was still Wrestling with where I belonged theologically where I belonged denominationally and most importantly where God desired me to serve and teach A lot of that hinged on my understanding of the sacraments a lot of it hinged on What do I do with baptism and the Lord's Supper within these various traditions that I that are set before me? Baptism especially was one that I was wrestling with how do I understand it? What is God doing through baptism if he is doing anything at all? It was appropriate to be having those thoughts and wrestling through it. At the time, I considered myself Lutheran. Rachel and I had been members in a Lutheran church back in Tennessee, and we had moved down here and couldn't find the right Lutheran church to plug into here, and so we're attending at a Presbyterian church where I was doing my internship for seminary. But all that through that time I still considered myself Lutheran and I was wrestling with do I remain Lutheran and find a new Lutheran church body or do I? Find somewhere else where I can where I can fit in where I can work well with the people around me and truly draw near and be obedient to those in authority over me And About that time I was beginning to interact with Anglicanism. I was beginning to discover little bits of Anglicanism here and there But in that evening As I was sitting outside, it started snowing and I didn't have some type of charismatic or Pentecostal experience in that moment, but as I was watching the snow come down, we had a tree in the middle of our front yard that was just barren because it was the middle of winter. It was January. There were no leaves left on this tree, but yet the snow came down and it is just piling up on every branch on this tree, making it look anew, giving it a new kind of life that I'd never seen before. And something clicked in that moment about baptism, that baptism is God giving to us something new. Now that tree wasn't suddenly sprouting leaves everywhere, but that snow coming down and settling on its branches, when it would melt, would be soaked up by the roots of that tree. And it would play a role in giving that tree new life come spring, come the time when the leaves would start sprouting again and the blossoms would come out. That snow that was coming down that in that moment gave me something of a picture of baptism, of the Spirit descending and planting himself in us, planting himself around us, wrapping us up in himself that we would have new life when our roots soak him in, when our roots lay hold of him, when our hearts absorb who he is and what he is doing and the grace that he brings to us for the sake of Jesus. In that moment I knew that baptism was active, that it was something that was going to happen to me, that it was something that had happened to me, that was done to me, not something I pursued and got done to myself, but it was something that was done to me primarily. And of course, in all of those thoughts, I was driven at that time back to the baptism of Jesus to reflect on what happened to Jesus in his baptism. We just heard about it. We just heard what happened to Jesus today in our gospel lesson. As I said, Jesus came from Nazareth and was baptized by John into Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. You see, in that moment, something happened to Jesus at his baptism. The heavens were torn open and the Spirit descended on him like a dove, and the Father proclaimed who Jesus is. Jesus, by being baptized, transformed John's baptism into something new. He transformed it into something that would bring forth the Holy Spirit upon us. As John had just said, and Mark, there, I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. That is, the Messiah, the one who comes after me, will give you the Holy Spirit. And here we see that water baptism and that spirit descending, being brought together upon Jesus. That Jesus might become the one through whom that spirit comes. And in many ways, I believe, still linked to baptism, still connected to baptism because Jesus transformed baptism. As we dig into this, I first want to ask the question, why didn't anyone freak out about John baptizing people? We often don't think about that, or at least I know I often haven't thought about it. Why didn't people say, wait, 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 what are you doing taking people out to the Jordan River and pouring water on them and telling them to repent? What does this have to do with what we do as Jewish people? I would say that if you go back and look throughout the Old Testament, especially through Leviticus and Exodus, you start, you see a number of washing ceremonies built into Judaism. There are a number of types of washings that involve water. Some of them are for cleansing from uncleanness, for various things interacting with the world, causing you to become unclean and thus not able to come into the presence of God temporarily until you had passed so much time and then were cleansed in some way. That water becomes an important aspect of cleansing the people of God in various ways. It's used to sprinkle the people along with blood upon them at the sacrifices. Water is intimately tied into the religion of Judaism as a cleansing agent, as something that has been set aside by Yahweh to be a picture of what he will do. As you go through the Old Testament, you come into Ezekiel. There in chapter 36, where the Spirit says, where the Father says through Ezekiel, I will sprinkle clean water and give them new hearts. My paraphrase. I will sprinkle clean water on them and give them new hearts. He'll remove the heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh, a living heart. A heart that is alive. Here we see that cleansing with water in Ezekiel interconnected with the act of God. With him renewing us, with him making us one with himself, giving us a new life, giving us a new way of being. And that's why no one freaked out that much about John's baptisms. He was simply going to the next step in cleansing with water by taking the people out to the Jordan River and calling them into repentance, to confession as they are baptized, that they would be renewed as the people of God. He wasn't making them into the people of God in his baptism, he was renewing them into the people of God. And this sprinkling and cleansing with water was so important to the Jews that it became common practice even for Gentiles, when they converted to Judaism, for the household to be sprinkled with water and baptized in a way, to be cleansed from their old ways of being Gentiles before the males in the household were circumcised. And so, baptism for Gentiles had become normalized. It was something that they did to prepare them for entering into the covenant. And likewise, these cleansings were applied to the Jews in various ways. And here, John carries it further. He carries it to the next step, calling the people out to the Jordan River, that liminal place, that space between two ways of being. It was Joshua who led the people through the Jordan River into the promised land in their preparation to take it, to receive it from the Lord. Before entering and crossing that Jordan River, they were outside of God's promised land. And upon the priest stepping into the river and the river separating to let the people pass through, and they enter into the promises of God. The Jordan River becoming that marker, that place, where the promises of God get fulfilled, where the promises of God are given, where the promises of God see their conclusion, their giving to the people in preparation for a total consummation of all things. Elijah and Elisha crossed over the Jordan in preparation for Elijah to leave this world and for Elisha to be given the double portion of the Spirit that he would go out in greater power than Elijah to preach. The law of God to preach the word of God to all those around him. Likewise, we have Naaman coming from Assyria down or is it Syria? I forgot to double check that. But we have Naaman, the general coming down, seeking the prophet that he might know how he might be healed of his leprosy. And the prophet says, go to the Jordan River and dip yourself seven times and you will be healed. Naaman didn't like that. He said we have plenty of good rivers where I'm from. Why can't I do it there? Your Jordan River is just a stinking creek compared to the great and glorious rivers I can access But his servants got through to him And convinced him that this is the prophets way this is this prophets God's way of bringing healing and so Naaman submits He goes to the Jordan, and he dips himself seven times as he was commanded to do. And when he came up that seventh time, his leprosy was healed, and his skin was like that of a newborn babe. God brought him healing through the water, through the act of dipping himself in the water. A picture of what baptism does to us. And of course, there is from 1 Corinthians 10, when when St. Paul tells us that, all of the Israelites were baptized into Moses as they crossed the Red Sea. That they were united together as being God's coming at people in Moses through that crossing of the Red Sea. And what happened at the Red Sea? Moses stood before it and God parted the waters. If I recall, it's more like he tore them apart to create a path for them to go through. And crossing through that Red Sea, the people and Moses move on towards Sinai and they are brought together in a type of baptism, in a picture of what baptism would do leaving the old land of Egypt and moving forward in the promises of God. The Jordan and the Red Sea and those examples are places where one moves forward from where they once were, from what they once were, into who God is making them into, into who God has made them be. And that is what baptism is. It's that marking place of going from what you once were and becoming who God desires you to be. And it's intimately connected to what happens to Jesus here in his baptism. When he came up out of the water, it says that the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. This is what Jesus saw. And most likely, according to the other accounts, what John the Baptist saw, and maybe even the people saw that were gathered around, that they saw something like the heavens being torn open, and the Spirit Himself descending like a dove, God Himself coming down and resting on His Son Jesus. If you recall, a few weeks ago, back at the first Sunday of Advent, we read from Isaiah 64 which has Isaiah crying out in prayer, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down. And that is what happens here. This becomes a partial fulfillment of Isaiah's own prayer. For it's the same words being used with torn open, a Greek word from which we draw our word schism. The heavens are rended open. They are ripped apart so that God can come down. And here the Holy Spirit descends and rests upon Jesus as a dove. Where do we remember another dove in Scripture? There's one way back in Genesis 8. Noah sends out a dove to see if the flood waters are receiving, are receding. And the dove does return with an olive branch in its beak, telling Moses that the flood was receding and that the time of punishment was over. And that there was to be peace once more between God and man. There was to be a time of peace on account of Noah's faithfulness and trust in God and God bringing punishment to sin on the earth. But now God was returning to his graciousness. He was extending his graciousness once more as the flood waters receded and sin was washed away. And the dove brings what becomes the symbol of peace an olive branch. That very branch is so integrated into our thought processes that when you want to end an argument, when you're done with an argument and you want there to be peace, you say it's something like I'm extending an olive branch in order that we would stop. The flag of the United Nations has twin olive branches on it because the United Nations mission is to help bring peace. The olive branch on account of Genesis becomes such a picture in our cultures of peace. And it's intimately connected with that very dove who carried that olive branch that the dove represents peace as well and so to see the holy spirit descend like a dove gives a picture of peace is coming some way somehow god is bringing peace to his people and the dove descends upon jesus the holy spirit as a dove descends upon jesus and rests on him empowering him preparing him to be sent out into battle against satan and sin and death and hell, that he receives the Holy Spirit in order to extend peace to God's people and to carry warfare against the devil. Jesus is the one who will bring peace to God's people. God the Father is with Jesus that he might bring about the peace that God desires. But that doesn't mean that the warfare has ended in this moment, in fact it is only beginning. Immediately after this passage, we hear of the temptation of Jesus, the Spirit driving him into the wilderness, the Spirit guiding him, pushing him out into the wilderness where he was tempted by Satan himself. The war is beginning with the descent of the Spirit upon Jesus, a war between God and all the powers that stand against him and his work of reconciliation, all the powers that stand against his creation, that desire to wreck and destroy his creation. Jesus is standing there receiving the Spirit in order to bring about those things. And then what were the words of the Father to Jesus in that moment? In that moment, the Father cries out, you are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. The Spirit descends and God says, you are my beloved Son. To hear of someone referred to as son drives us to various places in Scripture, but most especially to Psalm 2, one of the great coronation psalms, a psalm describing the reality of the relationship between God and the King of Israel. In fact, it even says that you are my son, today I have begotten you. God speaking of David in that moment, but yet Through recognizing who Jesus is, we see that that is a picture of what God says to Jesus in this moment, that you are my son, which means that he is the king. He is the ruler. He is the one who is to be Lord over all things. Because that son, in Psalm 2, goes up against the nations to fight against them and to bring them into the fold of God. Those who resist, they are broken and smashed into pieces with the rod of iron. But those who kiss the son are welcomed into his presence. That the son brings judgment in order that he would bring peace. That he deals with that which goes against him as the righteous one. In order to bring peace to those who see what they need. Who see that they need to be brought into relation with him. And so this is the son of whom God speaks here. You are my beloved son. And at the same time it drives us back to Genesis 22. To that story of Abraham and Isaac. When, I, when Abraham is called to take Isaac up the mountain to sacrifice him. And when God calls to Abraham, he says, Abraham, take your only son, the one whom you love. That word there is the same as here, beloved. Abraham was to take his one and only beloved son up the mountain to offer him as a sacrifice. Becoming a picture of what God the Father will ultimately do for us, that He will send His beloved Son up the mountain of the skull to be put upon a cross to die for our sins. My beloved Son, that I will send to be a sacrifice, who willingly goes to be a sacrifice, who willingly receives the will of the Father in order to bring about the salvation of the world. My beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. And this draws us back to our Old Testament lesson today from Isaiah forty-two. Right there in the very first verses, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. Again, it's the same word in Greek between those two. To be for the Father to be well pleased is the same as him being delighted. Yeah. And so this echoes us back into this first servant song in Isaiah. My servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him. That the servant of the Lord is the one who receives the spirit and he is the one in whom God delights at his deepest being. And that's because this one, this servant who receives the spirit is God himself, the son of the father. And of course, echoes of the Trinity have to leak in here to understand what is happening, that God can be in heaven and God can be on earth and God can be descending because our God is three persons united in one essence, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so the Father has known the Son always and the Spirit has been known by the both of them always. For in some sense, it is one God and yet it is three persons whom Are equally God. Of whom are equally God. And so the father says to the son. You are the one in whom I delight. You are the one in whom I am well pleased. You are the one who is accomplishing all that I desire of you. And I call you out to do that work. For you know before you even start that you are well pleasing. You are the one in whom I delight. You are the one that I love with my whole being. You are the one who is my beloved. And Jesus is sent out from his baptism to accomplish the fight, to begin that war, to bring that war to an end through the cross. Once more, that servant song in Isaiah is the beginning of the servant songs that drive us over to Isaiah 53, where we hear of the servant who takes the iniquities of the people upon himself and is struck down by the Lord for the sake of the people. But yet that servant will see his own children. Somehow, some way, that servant, though struck down by the Lord in Isaiah 53, is still raised up to see his descendants into the world. A mystery there, but is revealed in Christ that he is struck down on our behalf to remove our sin. And he is raised back up by the Father into new life, eternal life, perfect life, that he then pours out upon his people. And so what does this mean for us? How does this all come back together for us? It's that we are all baptized as well. For Jesus transforms baptism into something that changes us. Because baptism unites us to who Jesus is. It unites us to the work of Christ. It unites us to God himself. And I love finding Commentaries or commentators who drive me to the church fathers because church fathers always have wonderful things to say where they See these connections that our eyes are just unable to see sometimes That baptism is throughout the Old Testament for some church fathers They see it in the creation of the world and God calling forth living creatures out of the water on During creation st. Ambrose says why were you plunged into water speaking of baptism we read May the waters bring forth life in Genesis 1 and the living creatures were born. This happened at the beginning of creation, but for you it was reserved that water should bring you forth to grace, as that other water brought forth creatures to natural life. Imitate this fish who has received less grace. For what does that fish do? It praises God, it glorifies God. It glories in being what it is. And it has received less grace, it has merely received the grace of creation being called forth into natural life, but we through baptism are called forth to the grace of God, to a greater grace, to a grace of salvation, to a grace of life, to eternal life. It's beautiful to see a picture like that, of life being called forth out of water. And now that water set aside by God is poured upon us to bring us to new life for the Spirit comes and dwells with us as He did to Jesus. One of my favorite sayings is, what happens to Jesus happens to us because we are united to him as his people. And so Jesus in his baptism has received the Holy Spirit to be sent out to do the work of God. And we likewise in our baptisms are united to Christ. And by being united to Christ, we are given that very spirit he has received. For that is why he received it. That is one reason why he received it was that we might then be given that spirit that through the Messiah, the anointed one, we would too be little anointed ones receiving that same spirit and then being sent out to do the work of the Lord, to do the will of God. And likewise, God looks at us being united to our son and receiving all things that the son has received. And if he said of the son, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. He likewise looks at us as his children, as his Adopted children united to Christ, that you are my beloved son, you are my beloved daughter. With you, I am well pleased. In you, my soul delights, for we have been united to Christ. And how can God but not re- delight in his children who are united to him in faith and baptism? That baptism brings us to spirit, and the spirit works in us to draw us into faith, to bring us to faith, and we receive the work of the spirit. And walk this path of righteousness toward Jesus. This path of repentance and confession. And contrition. This path of seeing the sin that is in us. And turning from it back to Christ every moment. To let that baptism drown that old man. That sinful man. To put him to death daily. And to be raised up to new life on account of the work of the spirit in us. That is our calling in union with Christ. That is our calling through baptism that unites us to Christ, that is united to Christ's baptism. In a sense, every baptism is united to Christ's baptism. And that's why our baptisms can have power before the Father, because He is acting through it towards us. And so today, let us rejoice that Jesus is baptized, for in His being baptized, He cleanses us who are defiled. In His being baptized and receiving the Spirit from above, He receives that Spirit in order to send Him out upon us and exalt mankind to heaven. He is baptized for us that those who have fallen might be raised up. He is baptized in order that those who cause us to fall would be cast down themselves and put to shame. Because he is fighting a war against those who would assault God's people. He is fighting a war in order to bring about new creation. And it leads him, Jesus, to the cross. And to exaltation from which he shall return one day and finish the, complete the war. Consummate the new creation and bring down the new heavens and new earth. And bring us into His very perfect presence, into His glorious presence that we would continually live with Him. And so may we rejoice, may we draw near, may we rest in Christ alone no matter what comes our way, no matter what happens around us. It is Christ alone who is in control and who will bring about the perfect creation, the new creation, the new heavens and the new earth who will bring about His kingdom in us and through us. So may we draw near and receive that strength and that power of the Spirit that Jesus has received to give to us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.